0: can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.
1: Hey there, leading ladies, welcome to the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, family physician, and executive leadership coach with over 20 years experience of providing primary care and serving as a healthcare leader. If you are a woman physician ready to make a change in your career and have a seat at the leadership table, then you are in the right place. I'm excited to provide you with the crucial skills you need to be a successful leader and strategies to deal with workplace challenges. So put on your headphones and listen as we explore the new world of building women physician leaders. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome. Welcome to my first live podcast episode for Women Physicians Lead. So I'm really excited to be here tonight. I have two amazing guests with me, and I'm going to introduce them a little later in the show, but we have a hot topic to discuss tonight, and that is closing the gender gap, men supporting women in the workplace. So I am your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a board-certified family physician, best-selling author, speaker, and executive leadership coach. And I help physicians transition into leadership roles so that they can become the respected voice in healthcare. So it is Women's History Month. It's March. It's Women's History Month. And I wanted to kick off Women's History Month by talking about closing the gender gap, how we can support women, how we can increase diversity, how we can empower women in the workplace with the help of our male colleagues. So as you know, Women's History Month is in March. It started back in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan had actually deemed it first Women's History Week. And that went on for a couple of years, and it just became so overwhelming because of all the great things that women do and you know have done in the past that they expanded Women's History Week to Women's History Month. So now, every year in the month of March, we celebrate women and their accomplishments and all of the great things that we do and all of the things that we will continue to do in the future. So today, again, I wanted to come on and discuss about how we can continue to support women, how we can increase women in the workplace, how we can help with gender equality, with equal pay, how we can increase women in the boardroom all of those things by using the help of our male colleagues. So I have two amazing trusted male colleagues of my own that I've won on my show today to help us to really talk about this issue and talk about how we as people, but also as an organization, can change the culture so that men become allies for women. So join me in introducing and also welcoming my two guests. So first up is Dr. Ken. Dr. Ken, introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us all about you and um, the great things that you're doing.
2: Well, again, thank you for having me on your broadcast. Good evening to your audience and to my audience. I'm broadcasting from my page as well. I am Dr. Ken, your board certified psychiatrist, veteran and corporate leadership coach. I help corporate leaders pinpoint leadership issues so, we can develop thriving workplaces with less turnover, improved workplace morale, and increased organizational performance. I'm the author of a best selling book called Mental Blocks, a Concise Corporate Guide to Employee Mental Health. So, if you haven't had a chance to pick that up, go ahead and do so. It's on Amazon, or you can go to mentalblocksbook.com and get a signed copy from me. I'm happy to be here to share my thoughts. And again, it will be my thoughts on Women's History Month and how we can help closing the gender gap. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you, Dr. And can't wait to talk with you um, later on in the show. So next up, we have Dr. Jarrett. Dr. Jarrett, welcome and introduce yourself to the audience.
3: Thanks, Dr. Lisa. I really appreciate being on with you guys tonight. It's an honor to be on at the beginning of Women's History Month. I'm Dr. Jarrett Patton, a board-certified pediatrician an executive career coach. And through my License to Live book series, my coaching programs, and my media outlets, I help doctors, nurses, and healthcare executives refresh and restart their career. So I am happy to be talking with you guys, embracing Women's History Month, and thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that we're going to have a blast today because before we even came on, we started, you know, having some fun and some laughter. So this is going to be a great, great show. And I'm going to just start and get right into some questions for you guys. So as you know, like I mentioned, women have been at the forefront of movements from the beginning of time, right? Voting rights, civil rights movements, healthcare, equal pay, all of those things, you know, we've always kind of been at the forefront, yet we're still lagging in equal pay. We're still lagging in representation in the workplace. There's still some challenges that we're facing that's really holding us back a lot of times or preventing us from really moving up the ladder. So I wanted to bring you guys on today to give a male perspective of sort of what you feel might be going on, what are some things that we can do to change the environment, to change the mindset and help our audience just to understand a little bit about men being allies for women in the workplace. So the first question that I have is from a male perspective, okay, from your perspective, what do you think are the challenges that women are facing in the workplace and why? So we can start with Dr. Jarrett, why don't you go first?
3: Well, thank you for for giving me the toss up. And (laughs) When I think about your question, honestly, one of the biggest factors that goes in as we're talking about Women's History Month is history. Women have been historically disenfranchised from the beginning of our country, for instance, never having the initial rights to vote, the stereotypes and the expectations that women are supposed to be in the home and not in the workforce. And we are dealing with hundreds of years of history that has created this existence in which women have not yet found equality in our society today. Even when I was back in medical school over 20 years ago, you know, the medical school class was celebrating that, well, we finally made it to 50-50 representation of men and women in a medical school class. And you know that was 20 years ago. And there was another 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 200 years of work history ahead of that that has systematically been designed to oppress women and hold them as not equal. And so I think the biggest thing that we're dealing with here is the historical perspective of women in our society.
1: Yes, absolutely. Dr. Ken, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, I wanted to weigh in. So you know what?
2: I actually just had this feeling, this vibe of like, you know, I was watching Family Feud recently. And when you asked that question, I was like, where do I buzz in? <laughs> you know, let me, get, let me get the number one answer. right? <laughs> you know who's hosting that show right now and it is hilarious. But to your question, what are some of the challenges? From my perspective, I would say that there is a, misperception of women in terms of, I call it the three A's, arrogance, mm-hmm. aggressive, and being assertive. So here, let me, let me dissect that a little bit. So an, an arrogance, right? If, we, if you see a woman and she's in a leadership role, let's say she's leading the meeting, there's a perception that she's coming across as being arrogant because there's this quote unquote air, this air about her that she has created, that she's the most important person in that room. Mm-hmm. Then you combine that with somebody who's misperceiving aggressiveness or aggression because they perceive that the woman is trying to dominate whatever situation she's in. Now, granted, again, their are perceptions. They may not be real or they could be. But then when you balance that out with assertive, a woman who's being assertive, there's just a healthier way of expressing themselves and being able to set boundaries. But if there's any confusion with any of those A's. There's another A that can come out of that. However, the only only three A's that we're talking about: arrogance, the aggression, and then being assertive. And those those challenges we have to we have to be very clear about that perception or misperception when it shows up. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and I like that. I mean, I like the fact that you kind of broke it down in that way, and you, Dr. Jared, talking about just the history that we have to carry with us, you know, unfortunately, and still have to live the thoughts that people have that, again, they're carrying just from years of history. And women often are misunderstood, right, in the workplace, pretty much, especially if they're in positions of power, or if they are in positions of being in a leadership role, where they may be the ones who are sort of leading and directing, you know, a lot of sort of those I'll call the male characteristics that a woman may tend to sort of lean upon to really get her point across could be taken the wrong way just because of, again, perception. So, thank you for bringing those points up. I think they are valid and they are definitely things that we have to really look into and think about when we're looking at the challenges that women face in the workplace. So, when you think about yourself or when you think about men supporting women or men as being allies. What is your definition of that? What is the definition of a man who is an ally for women in the workplace? Did, it, did it, I'll go first. <laughs> Where's my buzzer? Okay, Dr. Ken, you go first, you're
2: up. Oh, me? Oh, thank you so much for this opportunity, right? <laughs> so yeah, so male ally, let's see, how would I define that? I don't know if that appears in literature, but if it does, great. If it doesn't, well, kudos to Dr. Lisa for creating history. But I think it has to be like a counterpart a male counterpart within an organization who is able to provide that woman. And ideally, they need to be outside of the normal organizational chain of command. But they, they are able to provide that unbiased, timely and encouraging feedback. That's what I think a, a male ally would provide to a woman. And that's one way of kind of building up that relationship.
1: Mm hmm. Great.
3: Yeah, and I think that's a a great start, Dr. Ken. And what I also think is included in that is your ears, being able to listen, number one, taking a step to be empathetic and saying, what must it be like to walk a mile in her shoes? Because, well, I don't know what that's like. I know what it's like to walk in my shoes, but I may need to try to understand what it's like to be in her shoes. And so the third thing that I think is also important in this is that we need to keep our ears open for a time in which, let's say, if people are maybe talking bad or perhaps they're bullying or there's something else that we could stand up for, instead of letting some of these things that go by in the workplaces, oh, it's just jokes or, oh, it's just Ted. He's always like that. It's time for us to stand up and say, well, you know what? Maybe in years past, it was okay for that and Ted to be acting up like that, but now's not the time and we need to do better. And so we can help each other understand.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think that a lot of companies, they think that they are doing that or they would like to do that, but the action really isn't speaking, right? So what are some of the things that you think prevents men from taking that action and doing the things that you just said, speaking up when another male colleague may be talking out of line or saying something that might be disrespectful or not, you know, seemingly being supportive or men not speaking up when they know that woman is the best person for the job and they still won't really support her in that advancement. Why do you think it is that men sometimes just won't Go the extra mile or really won't take that next step? What prevents them from doing that?
3: Some of it is ignorance. <clears throat> ignorance in the sense of just plain old not knowing. Right. There's a lot of things we don't know about ourselves. And sometimes people aren't aware of some of these issues because, well, again, we have that historical perspective. Things have always been like this. So people need to take some time to understand. So they may actually need an education. And when I think about where people's mindset may be around women in the workforce, a lot of times it may have to do with biases and people have deeply rooted biases that probably even started from the time they were children and depending on the family, their upbringing, the women role models in the family, the male role models in the family, how people are treated. A lot goes into that. So by the time you're in the workforce, you may be stuck with a bunch of biases that you're not able to do anything about because they're just a part of your natural thought pattern. You don't think twice about saying something disrespectful. You don't think twice about bullying a coworker or making them feel uncomfortable because that's just what you do. So sometimes it takes a step back and a little bit of education to combat the ignorance that sometimes gets in the way of many men.
2: Yeah. And so um, add on to that, Dr. Jared, the competition that's there. You know, if you are successful and you get a position that I know I've been eyeing for a long time, why would I want you to get it? Right. So if it's even perceived that, quote, unquote, I was beaten by a woman or or that position went to a a woman and not me, that can create a lot of resentment. So you may want to sabotage that person's opportunity. The term backstabbing and all these things tend to come to light, but that's really that competitive edge that somebody may have can really, really cause them to damage relationships. But that would be one of the perceptions that maybe men are more competitive than women, but there are competitive women out there. So we can't use that as an argument. I don't think that really holds water.
1: Yeah, I think it's important, like you mentioned too, about just the whole education piece, right? And I think that we're starting to see that in mainstream even. So if we look at like Former President um, Obama, who says that he's a feminist, right? And he supports the women's movement. And we look at people like, you know, the late Kobe Bryant, who became sort of personified more so as a girl dad than really, you know, all of the things that happened in his basketball career because of what he chose to do in terms of uplifting his daughters, which in turn helped so many other young girls feel empowered. So I do think it's really important for men to start to really showcase and to show and put words to action in terms of how they really are supporting women and some of the things that they're starting to do, even at a young age. You know, you mentioned a lot of the biases that we learned from very young, but even at a young age, as parents, you know, starting to instill some of that in our children as well, especially in our male children. So tell me a little bit about how do we get to the point where we can have men who are going to be supportive of women in the workplace. So you talked about, you know, men first having to recognize their own biases and be open to change. But how do we get there? How do we start to shift the culture and shift the mindset?
2: Well, I would offer that, you know, when you're trying to change hearts and minds, that's a intangible thing to want to attack or identify because you can write it down. Here's what we need to be doing. But if that person's mindset isn't there, that becomes harder. So I remember reading an article where it says that change that is at odds with the culture is doomed to fail. So that means that if you have a culture where it is perceived that only men are progressing, women may tag along, or they have roles that they need to play, if that culture has not shifted... No change effort that you're trying to implement is going to be successful. So one way of kind of combating that is to focus on what behavior you want to reward, identify it, write it out, put it in your whatever, your code of conduct, whatever the case may be, your feedback forms, your criteria for bonuses, whatever it is that you need to do to make it so visible and so clear that nobody has any questions about what is it that organization is looking for when they look at promotions or when they look at how they stratify lines of succession. So I think it's just a matter of really, really taking a step back and really looking at the culture and something that's a hard thing to do because, you know, there are so many undertones and subcultures that sometimes you have to identify to make a successful change effort happen. I
3: agree agree with you, Dr. Ken. You're right on board with that because the leadership is truly what's important in this situation. Those expectations have to be put up front. And it needs to be from a top-down type of leadership, but it also needs to be from the grassroots up because it needs to meet in the middle so that everyone understands this is how we operate now. This is what we do. All of these things that historically have been bad, maybe even within the company that the person works for, all of these things that were done historically to disenfranchise women well we need to start to undo this and the way we undo this is by changing the culture changing the environment changing our minds furthering in self-education and i agree with you dr ken that incentives can be tied to this type of thing or it just becomes mandatory if we're going to take the self-education route one of the things that i like to uh always mention when we're talking about diversity or anything that is not equitable in which case we're talking about men and women in the workplace, I refer people to go to Project Implicit. Just Google Project Implicit. It was started at Harvard and Mass General and it gives a number of tests for people to take on your own in your own private house or wherever you want to take this test. But it gives some inferences around bias. So there may be a test that you can take for people that are overweight, people that are normal weight. There are some that show you your affinity to past presidents. There are some that shows your biases and affinity to different skin tones. And most importantly, there is one that really makes those associations come alive in your mind with women. And that's where you can really learn a lot about yourself. And it's those unconscious biases that lead to some of the perpetuation of the stereotypes that are here, the oppression that's been occurring, and the inequity that we see in the workplace today. So, if you haven't done any of those exercises, just Google Project Implicit and take a few of those tests. You'll be surprised what you learn.
1: That's great information, Dr. Jarrett. I think that that's so important for people to really recognize what biases they hold, because, you know, you can obviously walk around and just feel that you're okay and say that you don't have these biases when you really do. And then you start to operate from that place because you don't know, you're not aware. So self-awareness is certainly, I think, the most important thing to get started on this journey. And thank you for sharing that link and that information about Project Implicit, right? Yes. So we definitely all should go there and check that out. And your point, Dr. Ken, also was very well taken in terms of incentivizing even in some way workers so that they know how important it is for them to change and to be a part of the new culture, but also that they feel incentivized in some way or empowered that when they do make the change that is going to be recognized. I think that that really gets people moving a lot. You know, sometimes we unfortunately have to use those tactics, but hey, if it works, it works.
3: Exactly. (laughs) That's right.
1: (laughs) If it helps to improve the situation, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. Those are some great things I think that we can all start to think about that organizations can start to think about in terms of some things that they may need to do to start changing the culture so that women can be seen as equal partners in the workplace and also so that there can be more of a shift towards gender balance in the workplace so that we don't see that, you know, leadership is top heavy with men and that there are no women that are represented there because we know that there are some positive, positive impacts of having gender balance, right? So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Like, what are some of the positive things that we can see? So we talked about why it's important for men to be allies, but why is it important to even do the work and to really have this balance of men and women in the workplace and also have it so that it's equitable as well?
3: I think that diversity of opinion, diversity of thought, diversity in general is really what we should strive for in society. Research has proven time and time again that if you have people sitting around a table from the same upbringing, maybe the same race, maybe the same gender, maybe the same religious preferences, that, well, there's a narrow scope of thought that may happen in that room. But when you open up that room to people of different colors, You're opening it up to men and women. You're opening up to people with different sexual orientations or religious affiliations. All of these things make the work that comes out of that room that much better. It ends up making the scope of the project that much broader because you're getting people who come from different walks of life, who are able to think about things in a different way. Just as I said before, I would not know what it feels like to walk in a woman's shoes. I can try to understand that, which is part of it. But at the end of the day, I need to hear from that woman, what is it like to walk in those shoes and and ask that question? And so if we just simply place this on diversity, I think we end up with a better product at the end.
2: Yeah. And you know, I'm sitting here, I'm just listening to Dr. Jarrett's response and um, how you're emphasizing the points, Dr. Lisa. And you can we can really take this talk and apply it to any of those protected work domains, you know, same gender, religion. I mean, you can really just apply this talk and just kind of like repeat itself. So hopefully you, you can take the lead on that, make history of doing that. You know, when you talk about what's the impact to Dr. Jared's point. Yeah, I think it, it does open up a different perspective on certain issues because, you know, we're not always aware of our blind spots. You think of driving, you don't just change lanes without looking. I mean, yeah, you can have all the fancy gadgets and all these, you know, lane assist and all this other stuff. But if you're not really mindful that there's a blind spot, you're just doing things the best way you know how. And you're missing a whole other perspective, a whole other lane of traffic that you really need to be appreciated. When you talk about the impact of gender balance, I'm just going to add an emotional component to it. So I think there's a higher morale when there's a female component to it. So here's a recent example. So I had a staff who um, had a medical procedure done, and I have a, a new female manager, and we're working well together. At least I think so. <laughs> and the thought was, do you want to send a care packet, uh, like a flower? We end up sending an edible arrangement, but you want to do something to just say this person is appreciated. We're you know we're missing that individual because my mindset was. Work, 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 and more work, because that's how it's been for the last few months. However, that was a nice way of breaking that routine for me. And then the person, you know, sends a picture and you see the gift that they got and they're, you know, smiling. And that was great. (laughs) But, I mean, I think it helps to balance things out. To Dr. Jarrett's point, it helps to kind of make sure we're not missing something that is really critical. And again, that emotional component, I was like, uh, you know, yeah, I'm glad we did that. Kudos to our office.
1: Yes, Dr. Kent. It's those soft skills that women have, right, that they bring, I think, to the table that creates that balance. And sometimes it's looked at in a negative way. It's looked at as maybe being soft or a lack of assertiveness or being too emotional or, you know, but sometimes those things or those skills are necessary. And sometimes those skills are the things that like the uh, example that you just mentioned. I mean, that probably just increased the morale of that particular person a hundredfold, just from that little gesture. And that can go a long way in terms of You know, you're retaining people in the workplace, retaining employees. It can go a long way in terms of just, again, the the morale that happens in the office space. So it is really important, I think, to really have that gender balance. So thank you for both of your input in terms of the importance of why we're talking about about this topic to begin with. So the last question that I want to kind of put out there for you is what advice would you give to other men that are, committed or feel like they might be committed to really helping with this cause, even if they are not on board yet, where should they start? What advice would you give them?
3: One of the things that I like to think about is really goes back to a conference I spoke at last year. And one of the other speakers was Dr. Jocelyn Elders. She was the 15th Surgeon General of the United States. And she was the first black Surgeon General. She was the first female Surgeon General. So she truly is a history maker. So I actually had the privilege of sitting down and having lunch with her one day at this conference. And we were just talking because I said, this is a woman who was born in a different era. She was born in the 30s in the Jim Crow South. And for me to see that she was born and she literally calls it she was born out of cotton and had to escape the cotton patch to get to where she did, which went on to college at an early age. She went on to medical school and uh, she was the first chief resident in her Arkansas program, which was also tremendous to have a woman leader at that level. So finally, uh, you know, I asked her, I said, well, how did the Surgeon General thing come apart? And she said she knew President Clinton from being in Arkansas and some of the things that she was doing. He knew of her and uh, she asked him, would you like the surgeon general position? And she wasn't really thinking about it, but she just looked at him dead in the eye and said, OK, if you're running the country, you let me run healthcare, and I'll do the job. And I was just blown away by that response and having the assertiveness, maybe the aggressiveness, maybe even a little bit of arrogance that she was able to say something with such certainty that landed her that position. And so we fast forward to today, looking at a woman's history maker and knowing the things that we need to do. And I still think the biggest thing that we need to do is listen. Listen, listen to our women, listen to each other, because we are going to learn a lot. We are gonna learn a lot of stories, just like I learned a tremendous amount by having a short lunch with Dr. Jocelyn Elders We can learn from each other in a similar way. And if we are going to make this as an effective, we'll start learning, we'll start listening, and we'll start making our way to making that change and standing up for that change. And I think that's going to be a part of what we must do. We as men, we must take this opportunity and we must take action. That is such a powerful example, Dr. Jared. I was going to, I'm still going to do it. So what was for lunch? <laughs> what was for lunch? We had uh, salad. It was actually healthy. It was a COVID because this happened in August. So it was a COVID. It was me and her at the table. We're sitting across to each other from a table. And so we had salad. I had a little beef. She had a little chicken. And uh, we were very healthy. So... <laughs> I thought that might have been rhetorical or leading into what you were going to say, but then I realized you were talking to me, Doctor Ken. So, (laughs) you know what? But that's that's actually a good segue from my response
2: because, yeah, you have to get to the meat of the matter, right? You have to get to the meat of the matter, right? So, if there is an opportunity, if there is an opportunity where you know that female individual, that woman needs some degree of visibility and let's say it's a male who is constantly leading a a meeting or leading an event, invite that woman to co-facilitate. Give them them a platform to have an opportunity to see how you organize, how you uh, motivate folks. Just kind of the the logistics associated with putting on an event that in many cases that individual may be able to do, you know, without really thinking about it because they have a system to follow. But now they're able to teach that other individual, in this case, a woman, how to do that task, and then you start building that confidence up because now they co-facilitate one year, and then they lead the other year. Hopefully, you would have been promoted onto something else, or you're involved in some other task. But now you know that person is skilled to do that job. You're confident in, in letting them take the lead on it, and then you know contact your HRO. Who don't know what an HRO is, right? Ideally, it's your human resource officer. Have them figure out, you know, from the resumes, from feedback. From 360 reviews that are done, how do you stratify the person who's um, next to succeed, a succession plan? You know, you create that now versus when, oh, this person's going to leave the CEO, the COO, and you're scrambling to bring in somebody ridiculous salaries. I, I mean, it's crazy out there, right? Well-deserved, mind you, but you're in a position of desperation when you may have had somebody within the organization that you could have promoted, promote from within. So that's just my sense on that because you definitely show appreciation for your people because when it comes down to it, you know, we're always dealing with people. And if we're disregarding that or, you know, stomping on it every chance we get, folks are not gonna stay with you. They're, They're gonna leave. Women are gonna leave. And then to that point, when we talk about this whole COVID, the pandemic and the impact it has on the workforce, you know, women left the workforce four times the rate of men. So if we look at simple math, 800,000 to 100,000, is that correct? Four to one? Yeah, four to one, right? Or 200,000 in that case, you know, leaving the workforce. That creates a gender imbalance. I think it actually, from one article, it eroded any progression they made towards equality and equity in terms of pay opportunities. So, I mean, this is just an important topic to have. As sensitive as people can get about it, people complain about the things they care about. That's usually my saying. If somebody's complaining about the same thing over and over again, you have to be listening. You have to tune up those ears, like Dr. Jarrett was saying, to really, really listen to what is being said. Remove the emotion, remove all the flair, the hand gesture, and all the other stuff, and just really hear what that person is saying because people complain about what they care about.
1: Absolutely, Dr. Ken. I agree 100%. And I think it's important to, and this could be probably a whole nother show, but I think it's important to even talk about the plight of women in terms of them really leaving and migrating out of the workplace, which has now really escalated since COVID even, right? Because of the strain that's put on women to be taking care of the household, you know, children are home now being homeschooled or or having virtual learning. So then that puts another strain on the family. And then who's usually the person that stays home? It's usually mom. So it's actually caused an increase, I think, in the number of women who have had to leave their careers or put their careers on hold and leave the workplace. So that becomes a whole nother discussion or a whole nother area in which we really need organizations and we really need men to be supportive of women to be in the workplace when especially challenges of work-life balance and child rearing becomes a challenge as well. So I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that at all. And that's always really difficult, I think, because again, I think it's a lot of history with that. And history has always said for women to stay at home, you know, when it comes to making that decision of who's the one to really stay with the child and whose career is the career that's going to be the one that's put on hold or given up. So that's another challenge. And I think that organizations have been challenged during COVID to try to find a way to keep women in the workplace. But it's something that I think we have to really think about, especially when we are faced with times like these.
3: I think that one of the things that we can do We can actually support our fathers and support our men out here, especially as far as child rearing is concerned, because of course, the woman has to hold and carry the pregnancy the whole time. But what typically happens to the woman, sure, you can have three months off FMLA, so on and so forth. With the dad, oh, your baby was born yesterday. Well, yeah, we'll see you back at work tomorrow. And there have been a few companies that have started this pathway of saying, Oh, paternity leave is a real thing. They do it in Europe. They do it all over the world. Maybe we should give the father two weeks or some places have taken a a more aggressive stance, but maybe two months or three months, because that will help around the, the child rearing process. But the system is set up for the mother to be the one to do that. It's not set up for the father to take part in this at all. Yeah. And that's especially, that's especially important for first time father.
2: Oh, you know, that the yeah. excitement and, you know, trying to balance things out. So, yeah. And and, and your background is in pediatrics. So you <laughs> I'm sure you can. appreciate. I see, that. It. I see it
3: all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and on my end, in psychiatry, I see the shock and awe. Am I going to be a good dad or, you know, good mom? And, you know, what is that going to be like? And so, yeah, we see all the, the gamut of those emotions and reactions.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, I wanted to also just put out there for my women colleagues as well for us to really start to think about how we can embrace men as allies in the workplace. So, yes, men have to I think take the initiative, you know, to really start changing their mindset. Organizations have to take the initiative for men to start changing within the culture of the organization. But as women, we have to also start speaking up a little bit more, you know, sharing our stories. Dr. Jared, you had mentioned earlier about the importance of listening. So we really have to be able to share our stories, to share our challenges. And we have to also feel comfortable, though, that those stories are going to be listened to and people are going to listen to them with an empathetic ear. And I think it's also important for us to start bringing men into the conversation. So when we have, our women's groups or, you know, our sort of women leadership initiatives or those women's career groups that we have at work that we bring men into those conversations or bring them in as guests or, you know, just to listen to a lot of the things that we share and a lot of the challenges that we have in order for us to be able to work together and to sort of bridge the gap between men and women in the workplace. So I wanted to just thank you guys. This has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast show and talking about this important topic. You guys are invited back anytime. Anytime you want to come back, you know, definitely, definitely let me know. Any parting words that you have for our listeners before we sign off for the evening?
3: Well, I think what you said about sharing your story is very important, Dr. Lisa. And the more stories we can hear, the more stories that can be told, the better it is for everyone. And and I encourage, you know, I, I love writing books. I've written several myself. And I encourage everybody to write a book, tell your own story, because that's how people can learn. And I even have a free gift out there for anybody who wants to take that step in making that book. Just go to Dr. Jarrett book.com spell out the word doctor j a two r's one t book b-o-o-k.com and you'll get a free training on how to write your first book
1: wonderful dr jarrett dr ken you want to share any parting words and where we can follow you find you anything you want to share with our audience
2: yeah you can you can follow me on facebook at dr ken richmond that's d-r-k-e-n-r-i-c-h-m-o-n-d um, and that's on Facebook and all social media platforms as well as on my, you can visit my webpage, www.drkenrichmond.com. You can set up a uh, free consultation time. Just get on my calendar. Um, we can have a conversation or a discussion about um, a specific issue or point that you um, are struggling with.
1: Great. Thank you. I will be sure to share the information with my audience as well as in the show notes. So that anybody that wants to reach out to you guys, We'll have that information as well. So again, thank you so, so much. This has been a great, great podcast. I hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And I look forward to having you back on the show again.
3: Can't wait. Thank you. Thank you for having us.
1: (laughs) All right. Take care. Thank you for listening today and for allowing me to be a part of your career journey. To continue receiving leadership support, I invite you to join our private Facebook group, Building Women Physician Leaders at www.leadingladiesincharge.com. Until next time, take care.
0: If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Crockover, helps people think critically about women's health issues Encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.